As I mentioned earlier, we're in the, what's called the, the Olivet Discourse. We started last week. It's, it's Jesus's longest discussion of God's plan for the end times. And, and when a church starts to teach, preach the end times, there are a certain number of people that get kind of nervous with that because we've all known uh, or seen enough sort of fringe and wacky uh, predictions of knowing uh, supposedly when the end is coming. Uh, we've seen enough pictures of guys wearing a sandwich board with a bullhorn, you know, that says the repent, the end is near. And it's just kind of a bad look for the church. Nobody really wants to, to be associated with that, even though I, had, I do have news for you. The end is near and we do need to repent. It's not a bad message, but it's just kind of a bad look. So there can be a, an easy mistake to make where we don't want to think about, talk about, look at eschatology, the study of the end times. But if you believe that this book... If you believe the Bible is the inspired, inerrant word of God, which I do and I hope you do, then you kind of have to believe that Jesus is coming back, like bodily, like physically. It's just in here way too much. If you come to this book for the hope of your salvation, if you come to this book believing in things for for your joy, for encouragement, but you, you want to skip over the parts about the return of Christ, you got to skip over a lot of stuff. And you're kind of picking and choosing what you want to believe and don't believe. A guy named Dr. Charles Sweeting from Moody Bible Institute as an illustration of how much uh, the second coming of Christ is in the Bible. I asked for this clicker. There we go. He studied through the scriptures, Dr. Sweeting did, and here's what he found. He found in the Old Testament 1,845 references to the kingdom reign of the Christ. Now, in the Old Testament, they didn't know that would be the second coming necessarily. But there are almost 2,000 references to the Christ reigning on earth. We know now that will happen at the second coming. He says in the, in the New Testament, there are 27 books in the New Testament. 23 of them talk about the return of Christ, the second coming. By his count, in the 260 chapters of the New Testament, he counts 318 references to the return of Jesus in the New Testament. It's in there a lot. You see, there are challenges to studying eschatology, but this is not the challenge. It's not that to, to, to study the end times, you have to take a few obscure verses and make some huge deal out of them. That's, that's not the problem. The problem is God and his sovereignty, uh, he didn't ever in any place tell us everything about everything. Right? You're not going to just read through the Bible and then turn one page and find a chart. It's not in here. But what God did is 
from cover to cover, he just sprinkles a little bit at a time, but a lot of bit in the hole about his prescribed plan for the end. God has a plan for the end of the age, the end of this world as we know it. It's like he has designed the play already, and one day he's going to say it's time to run the play. And it is, it's talked about with a fair amount of regularity in the scriptures. Now thank, thank the Lord, there are people like Dr. Charles Sweeting and others who have taken all of that information. See, the challenge is taking all of that, thousands of references, and organizing it in a way that it can make sense to you and me. Because we can't just read the Bible from cover to cover and, and really come away with a solid understanding of the plan without doing some more extensive study and organizing some things. But there are certain things that we can be absolutely 100% sure of that are coming. And here's the main one. The culmination of all of God's plans for the end of this age is the, the, the bodily, the physical return of Jesus Christ to this earth. That is happening. I would say you can write it down, but you don't have to. God wrote it down in multiple places. Why? You know why that's going to happen? Because God promised. He promised not just a Savior. He promised a Messiah, a Christ. That's a king. And he promised that king would reign over a kingdom. And he hasn't done that yet. But he will. It's coming. Now, since we are in Jesus' longest discussion about the end times, and even Jesus doesn't say everything about everything, I thought it would be, uh, this would be a good, a good place to take a few minutes by way of introduction and, and give you what I believe from a, from a plain reading of the scriptures, kind of a timeline of what I believe we can expect the end of the world to look like. Um, this, I won't give, I'm not going to give you every, every detail. I'm going to give you a list of stuff. There's going to be some, some scriptures, some scripture references in parentheses. I'm not going to have us turn there. I may email this thing out later so that if you want to be Berean about this, which I would invite you to do and dig in and search the scriptures for yourselves to see if the things I say are so, um, I would invite you to do that. But here's what, here's what I think is coming. In, in my opinion, I believe the next thing on God's calendar for the end times is what's usually called the rapture, even though that word doesn't show up in the scriptures. In 1 Corinthians and in 1 Thessalonians, we are told that there will be a time where God removes however many redeemed Christian, believing, saved, whatever you want to call us, people from the earth. Just all at once, in the twinkling of an eye. People who are left on earth at that time, who believe on Jesus for salvation, they will just get their glorified eternal bodies, and they'll never die. I think this could happen at any time, and it'd be okay if it happened, as far as I'm concerned, before this sermon is done. At that point, whenever it happens, the rapture being caught up in the air, at that point, Jesus will judge, 
called the judgment seat of Christ or the Bema seat. Jesus will judge all the redeemed people who have lived up until that time or who were raptured. Uh, and that judgment will not be to determine who goes to heaven or hell. Everybody in that judgment will be headed for eternal life. But we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and we'll be judged based on what we have done for him and his kingdom while we were on earth. Encouraging us to live like that is true will be the subject of most of the rest of the Olivet Discourse, by the way, after today's passage. Now, you'll notice I have an asterisk by number one right here, because I call this the timeline of the end of the age. This one, the timing of this one, I will not fight you on. There are people who love the Lord as much as I do, love the scriptures as much as I do, and are smarter than I am, who would say that this rapture comes in the middle of this thing, number three, the, the tribulation. In fact, and you know, I, I wrote this sermon three weeks ago, and I was thinking of one friend of mine uh, whom I've grown to love who would put this in a different place. And he's sitting right there today. He's here today. His name's Mike Wolf. Raise your hand, Mike. Say hi to everybody. Mike is the pastor of the Berean Church in Plattsmouth. He's on the board of directors. He's a sec board secretary. We had a meeting last night uh, up uh, south of Maxwell where Scott and I Mathis live. He was there and they decided to come to church. And I said, it's perfect. I'm going to talk about you whether you're there or not. So at least you could you know, show your face around these parts while I talk about you. Uh, how's that for a visual aid for a sermon? Now, Mike, uh, uh, Mike uh, believes that the, the rapture will occur right where, or approximately where Jesus begins today's passage, I think would be fairly accurate. Is that right, Mike? Yes. Which is fine. But it's happening. The next thing on the calendar, I believe, is called the tribulation, usually. There's some scriptures. The, the tribulation is the time period where, if you've ever heard of the Antichrist, which I'm sure you have, he shows up in popular culture and movies from time to time, God will allow at some point in the future um, a charismatic ruler to, to, to gain a great deal of power. He will make a covenant to protect the nation of Israel at some point in the future. Um, but he will renege on that agreement and he will try to destroy all descendants of Jacob and those who support him. Here's what will be happening during the tribulation. It, the tribulation can be divided, very, it is divided in the scriptures into two halves of 42 months each. Um, the first one is a time of sort of counterfeit peace. The second half is the, the great tribulation, the time of Jacob's trouble or the time of Israel's distress. It's the time period that Jesus will be talking about today. And here's what will be happening. God will be pouring out his wrath on an earth that deserves his wrath. While at the same time, allowing one last chance for people to repent and come to Christ. And there will be people who come to be saved during that period of time. At the end of that time, the culmination of all of this will take place. Number four on the screen, the second coming of Christ. Jesus will talk about that today. At the second coming of Christ, Jesus, he will destroy the armies of the earth. You've heard of the battle of Armageddon and things like that. He and Satan, through the Antichrist, will have gathered the armies of the earth to 
fight against Jesus to defeat him, it won't go so well for them. Uh, with using the words of his mouth, Jesus will destroy those armies. Um, and as he touches down on the Mount of Olives in Israel, God will keep uh, another promise. He will, Jesus will be received as king by Israel. And he, then he will set up his kingdom, which will last for a thousand, a thousand years. At that point, Jesus, the, the people who survived the tribulation, which will not be a large population of the earth. Most will, will not make it. That's why Jesus calls it the worst time that's ever happened. Um, but the people who do survive, Jesus will separate them like a shepherd might separate sheep from goats. Come back in a few weeks and he'll tell us the story. Those on his right who have come to believe in him uh, will go into eternal life. Those are called his sheep. The ones who separated to his left as goats are people who did not come to believe in him. And they will go into eternal wrath and punishment. Um, you might ask one logical question is, well, where will I be during all this if I don't live through the tribulation? Um, and that is this. I believe uh, Revelation 26 tells us that we will live and reign with Christ for a thousand years. So I think those who have believed in Jesus, you know, before this stuff starts, who are already have eternal bodies, I think we will be uh, heavenly bureaucrats for Jesus during his, uh, during his kingdom. We'll have government jobs during uh, the millennial reign of Christ. And then the final end, during the tribulation, we're told in Revelation, Satan is bound for that thousand years. God in his sovereignty has decided to allow one last rebellion at the end of Christ's millennial thousand year kingdom. Satan will be released. There'll be one more rebellion. Jesus will put that down. There'll be what's called the great white throne judgment. The people who live through the millennium will be judged. And then God will keep one more promise to destroy this earth with, with fire and then to recreate, to create a new heavens and a new earth. And so where will you spend all of eternity if you know Jesus as your Savior? Not in heaven, on a new earth. That is the extreme Cliff's Notes version of the end times. I will email that out when I email out the updated bulletin so you'll have that if you want to dig through any of those things. I thought it'd be helpful. That's our introduction this morning. Sorry, no witty stories like normal. No bad dad jokes like normal. But because nowhere does someone say everything about everything, I thought it'd be helpful to just have a, a little bit of a timeline about what Jesus is talking about as we continue into this, this Olivet Discourse. We started this last week, the first 14 verses where we learned what brought on this discussion. The disciples have just asked Jesus two questions. When is the end of the age coming? When are you going to return? And then what is the sign that lets us know that the end is about to begin? And last week, Jesus made really clear a couple things. First, he said, you're just going to be deceived if you spend your time trying to read the tea leaves about the, the return of Christ. You're not going to know the timing. 
And there's going to be lots of scary stuff that happens in the world that people will mistake for the end of the world. Things like international conflict, wars and rumors of wars and kingdoms rising against kingdom. That's not the end. There'll be natural disasters, things like earthquakes and famines. That's not the end. There'll be persecutions against Christians. Christians will be hated and murdered. That's not the end either. We can't discern anything about the timing of the Lord's return by looking at stuff that happens around us. And it's not our job. Jesus said, what you're supposed to be doing instead of trying to figure out when I'm returning is really what we'll see in the whole course of this thing is live like you know I could come back at any time. Live ready. Don't let your love grow cold. Don't let your love for me grow cold. Don't let your love for other people grow cold. Live for me, Jesus would say, during all these scary situations, and my gospel will spread throughout the whole world. And then the end will come. But today, Jesus is going to shift gears. Today, just to go quickly or briefly back to that timeline I put up, Jesus is going to talk today just about this, the great tribulation, the last three and a half years of the tribulation and his second coming. That's all he's going to talk about today. Um, that's where we'll be. Let's read our passage today. If you have a Bible and you want to open it up to the book of Matthew, chapter 24, we're going to read 15 through 31. And then this passage just requires a lot of splaining. Okay, so we're going to do some splaining this morning. Matthew 24, 15, Jesus speaking, he says, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Whoever's on the housetop must not go down to get the things out that are in his house. Whoever's in the field must not turn back to get his cloak. But woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days. Pray that your flight will not be in the winter or on a Sabbath. For then there will be a great tribulation, such as not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. Unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then, during that time, if anyone says to you, Behold, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe him. For false Christs and false prophets will arise, and they will show great signs and wonders, so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. Behold, I have told you in advance. So if they say to you, Behold, he, that's the Christ, he's in the, he's in the wilderness, do not go out. Or behold, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe them. For just as the lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. and The stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. 
And he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of the sky to the other. Okay, there's our passage. We've got to move quickly through it. We start in verse 15, where Jesus, again, shifts gears dramatically. This is so... Or but, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken about by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. We need some splaining already to understand what this means. Jesus mentioned something called the abomination of desolation that Daniel the prophet spoke about. Daniel wrote a book we know by the name Daniel. Five or six hundred years before Jesus lived, Daniel was the guy who first and most clearly predicted the figure we call the Antichrist. The guy that would make this, or that will make this this, uh, covenant with Israel that he will break. And at some point, that Antichrist figure will do something Jesus calls the abomination of desolation. Daniel kind of pointed at a a figure that has already happened, a guy named Antiochus Epiphanes between the Old and New Testaments. He set up a, a statue of Zeus in the temple and he sacrificed a pig in there and then he force-fed some of that pork to Jewish priests or Israelite priests, which uh, is abominable. But Jesus says we're still waiting on the fulfillment of this. Jesus says, I believe Jesus is giving a flashing neon sign to people who are still alive when this takes place, which will not be you or me if we're believers in Jesus. And he says, when you see someone do something truly abominable, some world leader do something truly horrific in a temple that will apparently be rebuilt in Jerusalem, And Jesus says, let the reader understand. If you're reading this, looking for answers during that time period, pay attention to what I'm going to tell you next. The abomination of desolation is like the starter pistol for the great tribulation. And before I show you what Jesus tells those people to do, I want to ask you a question. Oops, I overclicked. Back up one, Seth. Thank you. In general, how does Jesus tell the church to deal with trials and tribulations? He's promised you and me, the world's going to hate you and hated me first. Some of you are going to get imprisoned, beaten, killed for my name. In general, how are we supposed, what are we supposed to do with trials and tribulations as Christians? In general, Jesus tells us, hang in there. You live for me even when things get terrible. I'll tell you what to say. If you're in prison, you be in prison for Jesus. If you get beaten, glorify the Lord that you you got to share in his sufferings and people will notice that and they'll come to Christ because of your faithfulness. Isn't that what Jesus normally says the church should do with trials and tribulations? I swear you nod so I know you're paying attention. Some feedback would be nice. Thank you. But look at this, look how different the great tribulation will be. Because today Jesus says, 
when you see the abomination of desolation standing in the holy place, let the reader understand when you see that happening, he says, run, 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 run. You do not want to get caught with what is going to happen after the, the man we know as the Antichrist, the man of lawlessness, breaks his covenant with Israel and sets off, fires the starter pistol on the worst 42 months the world has ever seen, at least since the flood. Jesus says, don't, don't go pack a bag. Don't go get your valuables. And again, Jesus is talking, I think, to his people, Israel, people who are in Judea, in Israel. I've promised to save some of you, but if you don't run, you're not going to be one that gets saved. Don't pack a bag. I hope there aren't bad road conditions. I hope you don't get slowed down because if some of you still observe Sabbath observances and you can only walk so far in a given day, you are going to get caught and it's going to be bad. The worst part of this, my opinion, verse 19, woe to those who are pregnant, to those who are nursing their babies in those days. Jesus says, if you get slowed down by anything, it's going to get bad, bad. I think... Part of this is, you know, if you happen to be pregnant and can't run so good, if you happen to be carrying the heaviest thing in the world, which is a car seat that you have to hold out like this, right? right? How can an eight-pound child suddenly weigh 96 pounds in a car carrier? But, so I think part of it is you'll get slowed down, but there's an extra amount of horror here. Because Jesus is saying, you won't want to get caught by what's chasing you but you darn sure won't want to be there when your kids get caught. I'm reminded of something the prophet Hosea wrote, a cheery little verse. He says, They will fall by the sword, their infants will be dashed to the ground, their pregnant women will be ripped open. Run, run, run. Jesus says this in several different ways uh, during the course of this, these two chapters. But he just says this great suffering will be unlike anything that's ever happened from the beginning of the world until now or ever. I want to point that out because uh, there are Christians, well-meaning folks, who teach all of this stuff has already happened. It happened when, in A.D. 70. A.D. 70 couldn't have been any fun when the Romans destroyed the temple. But it's not the worst time the world has ever seen. We can make a long list of things that have been worse. Again, God wants to save some through this time. And here's the instruction if you want to be one who survives. If you're in Judea and the starter pistol of this goes off, run, 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 run. Verse 22, it's an important verse that we learn some cool things. Jesus says, if those days, the great tribulation, had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. What's cool about that verse is uh, it shows us how in control God is. In the most out of control seeming time on earth, God has a specific starting point 
abomination of desolation. Go! He has a specific ending point where he's going to say no more. That's it. Second coming of Christ. He's told us that's exactly 42 months. Again, the tribulation is about God pouring out his wrath on a, on a world that deserves wrath, that's headed for wrath anyway, but he's doing it in a way where he, he puts an off-ramp away from God's wrath and toward faith in Jesus Christ and salvation so that some even in that time will be saved. Next thing Jesus teaches in this next chunk, verses 23 through 28, is he's very clear that no one is going to miss the second coming. Anybody who is alive on earth, when the second coming happens, there will be no question in anybody's mind, it won't be a secret. You can't miss it. Jesus says, during that time, verse 24, there'll be false messiahs, false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. It's not possible, but if it were. This will be a time of great supernatural abilities and powers. And this is a great time to remind you of something to keep in mind. We could go all the way back into the book of Deuteronomy and learn this. Throughout scripture, we're taught just because somebody has a supernatural experience, just because somebody has supernatural ability, just because somebody has a supernatural vision does not mean we should follow such a person. That's always true. Write down Deuteronomy chapter 13 and look it up later, not now. That's what Moses says. If somebody shows up and has supernatural abilities, that doesn't mean you follow that guy or gal. You won't miss it. Jesus says, if anybody says to you, hey, the Christ is here. Oh, hey, he's out in a cave. Hey, we've got the Christ in our church's basement. Don't believe them. No one will miss it when I return. In verse 27, Jesus says, basically he says, my return to earth will be as noticeable as a lightning storm that covers the night sky from end to end. You ever been outside where it's real dark and there's been a, an impressive display of lightning that covers the whole sky? How easy is that to miss? I mean, you, you, you can't miss it. It's impossible to miss. Jesus, this is just his way of saying it will be impossible for people to miss my return. Here's why that's important. You might get taught the return of Christ has already happened. He, he reigns in our hearts right now. Which he does, except I don't do a very good job of submitting. But God promised him a kingdom. A real, honest-to-goodness, physical kingdom. And Jesus said right here, when I return, everyone will know that I return. So it can't be the reign of Christ in my heart that the Bible talks about, because lots of people miss that and don't believe it. In verse 28, in my opinion, the most difficult verse to understand in this passage Jesus says, wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. I think that's a figure of speech. It just says, 
It's how the, the vultures don't miss roadkill. Nobody's going to miss my second coming. It's probably also an allusion to in the book of Revelation. Before Jesus returns, he tells all the birds that eat dead stuff, gather around, you're going to have plenty to eat in just a second. So probably an allusion to that as well. All right, we're about done. I know it's a lot of stuff in this one. Somebody remind me, what were the two questions the disciples asked that kicked off this whole sermon? Anybody remember? What did they want to know? When is your second coming? And what will the sign be? Jesus is about to answer that directly. You want to see it? Seriously, this is his most direct answer to that question. Here is the when and the what sign. Verse 29 begins this way. Jesus says, immediately after the suffering of those days, there's the when. You want to know when Jesus is going to return? Immediately after the tribulation. Now, when's the tribulation? I have no idea. And, and, I'll, and we'll never know. But that's the when. When is Jesus coming back? Immediately after the tribulation. What will the sign be? Here's your sign right here. Jesus says the sun's going to go dark. And of course, if the sun goes dark, the moon is not going to give us light either. And the stars are going to fall from heavens. That's some serious dark, right? If we would open up the book of Revelation and read through the the seal judgments and the bowl judgments and the trumpet judgments, pretty good reason to believe there won't be a lot of utilities left working on earth. And so if there's really, if there's a shortage of electricity and there's no sunlight and there's no moonlight and there's no starlight, that's some real dark. That's what my granddad used to call dark as the inside of a cow. That's dark. That is dark. During that, during that kind of dark, verse 30, here comes the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven and it will cause all the nations of the earth to mourn. Why? Because they will see the Son of Man arriving on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. What is the sign going to be that you are coming? If we learn nothing else here, we learn this. By the time you see the sign, it's too late. In fact, I think you could translate or understand this, the sign that is the Son of Man. I'm not sure there is a sign. I think the sign of the Son of Man is Jesus. I think it's Him. I don't know exactly how this works. My mind's eye, if it's black, black, dark, dark, nobody can see anything. And the only light is Jesus Christ somehow getting closer and closer and closer to earth over a couple of days. How people in both hemispheres might see that? Maybe he's right on the equator. That would work. I don't know. But people will know who it is. And those who have not trusted him as Savior will know it's too late to do it now. And they will mourn. Because they know as bad as the tribulation has been, things are about to get even worse for them. But it's not bad news for everyone. Because in verse 31... Jesus will send his angels with a loud trumpet blast and they will gather his elect, those who have come to, to believe on Jesus, 
from the four winds from one end of the earth to the other. That's our passage. Again, a lot of stuff. I'm not sure there's a lot of um, you know, real inspiration and real I don't know what to say except for inspiration in that passage, but we learned some really important things from that passage. First, we learned God has a plan and God is in control. God's God. Anybody ever feel like this world has just spun plumb out of control? Anybody ever feel like that? It has not. We are deteriorating right on schedule. God's got this. He's already drawn up the play that will end this game. And the book of Revelation says one day, literally, he's going to tell his son Jesus to literally break the seal and open up the play and run the play. He absolutely has this place right where he wants it. He sees, he cares. Nothing has spun out of control. God's got this. Another thing we learn by studying the end times is God's wrath is real. The tribulation will be God pouring out his judgment. In Revelation, it's, they break a seal and they open like a recipe for judgment and that happens. Then they break another seal and more judgment and he pours out a bowl, more judgment. All this stuff is God doing this to earth. Doesn't that seem like a mean thing for mean old God to do? It's not. Here's why. Once God removes the church from the earth, there's not a saved person left at some point. Every single person alive on earth is headed for eternal judgment. Eternal judgment. God still wants to save some. And so he has told us enough about the play ahead of time so that people who are living through that time just might be someone who repents and believes. God's wrath is real and it is coming. God's grace is real and it's offered through Jesus alone. Last thing we learned, I didn't put it on the screen, but eschatology is about Jesus. It is not about a dragon. It is not about the Antichrist. It is not about, uh, you know, flying demons that bite and sting people. It's about Jesus. He is the point. And what we just talked about is true for every single person who lives right now during the church age. God's wrath is real. God's wrath is coming. God's grace is real. And it's offered only through Jesus Christ. That's why this place exists. So that we can teach and share with one another where, where, where grace is found. What God has done to save us from our sins at the cross. So that we can reach more people with the only off-ramp away from God's wrath. Which is the cross of Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me and we'll finish. Heavenly Father, um, eschatology to our minds, the study of what you will do in the end time sometimes can make our heads spin. But here's what we know. 
the Lord Jesus is coming back. He's going to reign over this earth. And those who believe in Jesus for salvation will live and reign with him for a thousand years. And those who try to save themselves by any other means will be cast out into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. God, what we and what our friends and family and neighbors do with the Lord Jesus really is the difference between eternal life and eternal punishment. I thank you for the, for the reminder of how serious is your wrath, how sure is your wrath, and how free is your grace, and how sure is your mercy. We love you. Um, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.